Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, the exponential success coach. With me today, I am so pleased. I've, uh, wow, I have been thinking about this interview for a really long time. I have somebody who is a, he's a beautiful man inside and out. He has had a journey that, um, that most people have not. He has done things that most people have not. Um, his, his journey is one we'll be talking about. It. We'll be going right into it. Uh, Becoming Magic, Antoine Magic Raymond is joining me today. He, um, he is in a play that you've heard of, but you've probably overlooked him. Um, the play is Hamilton. And why did you overlook him? We'll talk about that. All right. Uh, <laughs> Antoine, thank you. Thank you so much for being uh, here. Really I'm very happy it. to be here, Dr. P. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited for this conversation. I am too. And it is just a conversation. That's what makes it kind of fun. Along the way, I'll probably pause you and, and say, that sounds like a leadership lesson. So um, what I'd love to do is to talk about first your role in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And then I want to wind back the clock. And I mean, you've, you've outlined it so well in your book, um, some of the steps that brought you to who you are. Um, and I'd love to touch on some of those, some of those points along your journey. Right. And, um, and let's talk about why, what role are you playing in Hamilton? And you were one of the first, if not the first in this role. And um, why do people miss that? wonderful wonderful lead-in so my position with Hamilton is one most people outside of the business have no idea exists and majority of people in the business don't even understand what it is and that is I am a universal swing that sounds as large (laughs) and is almost as large as it sounds (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's a big role. It is. A, it's a huge role, actually, because you have to know a lot. And yes. um, all right. So so describe what that is. So there are six male dancers in the ensemble, also known as the chorus for Hamilton. And I am responsible for knowing what each of those six men do. Then you multiply that by five. And the reason you multiply it by five is because there are five United States productions of Hamilton existing and running at the same time. So I am one of several people that can be sent across the country to one of these five companies to fill in for one of these six people. (laughs) So I essentially know 30 versions of one show. Amazing. And you were the first uh, for Hamilton, New York. Is that right? I, I was... The first male, uh, there was a, a set of us, <laughs> myself and a universal woman. Her name is Eliza Omen. We were the first two universals ever cast for Hamilton back in 2016. And we learned the show with the then Chicago company that was being formed. And they were the first company in addition to the Broadway company. Amazing. Amazing. All right. And you, so, so 2016 is six years ago. Yes, just about August uh, would be exactly six years from my first day of rehearsal. Incredible. All right. And, and I mean, that's quite a responsibility. You've been across the country. You've been in multiple, uh, multiple performances in multiple roles. Like, and you never know until pretty much the day of, because I've, I've watched, or the day before when, when it's like, hey, I have to cross the country. I'll be in Los Angeles. Oh, I'm going down to, where was it, Texas? Did they Texas, have one? yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I've, watched, <laughs> I've watched your travels and I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so I have great respect for that because it's hard enough for me to learn 
two dance steps, let alone, you know, <laughs> a three hour show full of them. Exactly. <laughs> in, in various roles. Right. So that's amazing. And it, it's, it's gotta be precision. Otherwise, yes. it, it, otherwise it uh, looks terrible. <laughs> so, and that's, that's the key to not being noticed is that mm-hmm. it is precision. It's great. And I want to speak to that, to the key to not being noticed. One of the major um, roots of what I do as a swing in general, and specifically as a universal swing, is the audience, they should not be able to look at the show happening in front of them and say, that person seems like they just joined or that, they're not the the person who does this every night. They should be able to look at the show and think that the cast of performers on stage that evening is the cast of performers that is doing the show every night. So it's the baseline of my responsibility that I have assigned to myself is I'm there to make sure the show happens. That's awesome. And ideally that means... No one gets injured. I don't get injured. The show doesn't come to a grinding halt. And mistakes have occurred for me, but not to the degree where it caused injury or, as, as I said, a pause in the show. So even with all the mistakes that I can make in a show, as long as the show starts and ends in the time frame it's set to do so, <laughs> I have done my job. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. All right. At some point, just for fun, I'd love to talk about some of the mistakes that have have happened in the show Um, because they do. And every show is different, even though every show is the same. Mm -hmm. And I have been in I have. So my background on stage is magic. And and it's like every show is different, even though every show is supposed to be the same. Um, Yeah. So I'd love to talk about that. Let's back up the clock a little bit. Let's go back to childhood. Um, and we'll just we'll touch on some of the points that you touch on in your book, Becoming Magic. I'm gonna hold this up because um if you haven't seen it or heard about it, it's worth seeing, it's worth hearing about, it's worth reading, becoming magic. Um all right, so let's let's talk about your journey a little bit. All right. And um I, I always tease because, you know, my background, my doctorate's in clinical psychology. So whenever I whenever I uh, wind back the clock, it always sounds funny to me to go, let's begin with your mother and your father. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's begin where you want to begin. Uh, and it is early childhood and um, and and some of your growth steps along the way. So. Um, I'm going to let you drive this a little bit. All right. Well, ah, wonderful setup. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) What I'll say to that is I'm the youngest of five. It's a his, hers, and ours situation. We were not a blended family like the Brady Bunch, but uh, I do have four older siblings. I am the baby of all of them. My mother had two daughters with her first husband. And those are the siblings that I grew up in the house with. I was the first in my immediate family to go to and also graduate college, um, which was, for my mother, that was what was happening. Uh, My sisters, the oldest, she graduated high school and had been modeling and went to Europe to model and then found her way into the music industry. The other sister went right into the Navy out of high school, and my mother supported those choices for them. Um, For me, I didn't have those dreams. Uh, I love to sing. Actually, all of me and my siblings, we all have sung in in our past and previous lives. Um, And I knew I wanted to dance. And growing up, not going to theater. That was not something my mother could afford. I didn't have those outlets or resources, but I watched music videos in the era when that's actually what was played on MTV. (laughs) (laughs) And so my dream was to be a dancer for Janet Jackson. Wow. 
Um, but I had no idea how that dream would come to reality because I grew up in a small suburb in Missouri where the hobbies were sports. I studied Taekwondo for four years, earning a black belt in two of those four years, and then training and competing competitively at large scales, going to what was called Junior Olympics. So they would be large national competitions held in different cities across the country. And I would compete against dozens, if not hundreds of other people in my same weight class. And so that was where my first competitive nature came in was martial arts because I loved martial arts. How old were you? At that time, yeah, um, I'd say I started probably around ten years old. Yeah, and yeah. and for you psychologically, did taekwondo in some way take the place of dance, or was it a way of enhancing dance? Taekwondo actually was the first love of mine before I ever found dance. I mean, I love to dance socially, you know, barbecues, parties. If music is on, was on, I was dancing. I was naturally flexible. But again, I didn't know of any tangible outlets for the skill of dancing that I had. So martial arts allowed me to utilize those skills that I possessed. And it wouldn't awesome. be until I got to high school and my high school had a performing arts center and my theater teacher would put together a musical every spring, that would be the first time I would actually perform in a musical. And then it was it from there. That's awesome. So, um, so a lot of times kids get into martial arts because of a feeling of need for power or reclaiming power. I got into the martial arts when I was 12. Oh, okay. Um, and it, it, there was, there's a backstory to that. And I'm just wondering if that's what had you gravitating. Was there some feeling of a need to have power or control over yourself, over your surroundings at that point at 10? I can't say that I was conscious of that. Okay. What I will say is just a little further back history. At the age of eight, I was sexually abused for the first time by family members. And then I started to encounter these martial arts films. Jean-Claude Van Damme, like I knew of Bruce Lee, but Jean-Claude Van Damme was the Bruce Lee of my childhood. Right. And I just thought, this is awesome. And then there was movies like Three Ninjas, which as a kid, oh my gosh, I would have been so happy to be in some kind of kid movie like that at that age. And so I saw those and they just really intrigued me. I was very interested in gymnastics as well, but I was old enough to know you could really get hurt doing gymnastics. Yeah. Um, but, but as I got- But martial into, arts, no, you can't get hurt. <laughs> you could, but I felt like, I felt that, okay, well- in there was a taekwondo studio in my hometown and i've been talking with my mom and saying like i wanted to do gymnastics or martial arts and she said well i'm only paying for one so you have to decide so we went to the taekwondo studio and i sat and i watched a class and in that class they were doing warm-ups they were learning forms they were sparring mm -hmm. with each other mm -hmm. and there was just something that really pulled me towards it and the inspector uh, the instructor, rather not inspect the instructor. His name is Tony Parks, and uh, Korean American. He was in his early twenties, and he was so remarkable in the way that he taught and the way that he moved. And so I started training. And even though there was the sparring element, which was my least favorite of the two, <laughs> because it was so aggressive, and that is not me by nature, but it was a part of this whole thing, and I had to participate in that. So I had to find that part of myself. Yeah. And that really did come out, especially after the abuse I had encountered at the age of eight years old. Over time, I saw that as a way that I could protect myself in the future if I needed to for any reason at all. And interestingly enough, after four years of studying Taekwondo, consistently five days a week 
two to three hours a session competing at a high level, I was sexually abused again for almost a year. And the abuser would be an older gentleman at the time, probably in his 50s. He was essentially the Mr. Fix-It of a house my mother was renting. And I think I say it in my book, after all of those years of training to encounter another victimizer, none of the training was helpful. And the reason it wasn't helpful is because predators are very skilled. And they are skilled at needling their way in and disarming any possible strengths and defenses you might have to trust them and find comfort in them so that when the abuse is happening, it doesn't come like a bomb in a field. It's not this big, horrible monster that is depicted in movies and TV. It is subtle. It is manipulative. It is insidious. And you don't know what's happened until it's occurring and you don't know how to respond. That's heavy duty. And it's an important message because, um, you know, the statistics are out there. Um, abuse is out there and survivors are out there. And when I talk about statistics, I'm talking about humans yes. who have endured. And um, that's a good, a good portion of the listening audience. So I appreciate your, um, you're talking about that that way. And it's, yeah, it's, it's an incredible thing. You know, it's like you're, you're trained, right? Mm -hmm. You're martial trained, you're able to respond. There's the, you know, should an attack happen? Boom, you're ready. And it, the attack doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so let's, take a breath and move us from your teenage years into um well you did you did musical theater in high school yes and then you were the first to go on to college talk about college talk about what you pursued and and from there how did you know you were going into theater College was, in many ways, the only option. <laughs> okay. My mother said, I want you to go to college. And I was like, okay. And just, you know, being the mama's boy that I am and being just the person at that time, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. And I knew that I loved theater through high, throughout high school. And I knew in high school that that was what I wanted to pursue. So I had friends in high school that had gone to what was at the time Southwest Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri. And those people were very talented. And so I thought, okay, these people are talented. They're going to this university who has a very new musical theater program. So that's where I'm going to go. That was the only school I applied for. <laughs> I didn't have a whole list of them. I had no backups. It's like, I'm going to this school. And I got in. And I also got a scholarship within their musical theater department. I went in and um, just fun anecdote. I, I went and went in as a musical theater hopeful. <laughs> and you could either sing a song, uh, perform an acting monologue or dance. And I was most confident at that time dancing. And so I chose the theme to Mortal Kombat as my audition song to dance. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> because it blended that world that I had lived in for four years so strongly in martial arts and dance. And at that time I was uh, in high school, I was taking formal dance lessons, which I did not begin until my senior year of high school, which anyone who has any dance history is disgusted by that fact because most people start dancing at four or five years old as soon as they can walk. And a lot of, a lot of boys and some girls start much later. So I was a much later starter. Um, but, um, I wanted, so I used Mortal Kombat as my audition piece. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I know Scorpion from that uh, film. So, um, 
uh, 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 and I should get him on our show. Um, wow, that'd be great. <laughs> I think that your, uh, I think that your your grounding in martial arts allows you to move, right? And Absolutely. Putting, you know, it's almost like putting kata to music, which is mm-hmm. which is great, or form. In yes, taekwondo. and that's why I love form so much in taekwondo, and and that training in taekwondo is the bedrock of my discipline, even as a performer. And it also has allowed me to really ground and center myself as a performer. Like I, I experienced nerves, but I know how to exist with nerves. So they aren't overwhelming for me. Can you talk about how you learn? Cause I think this is really important. Like, a lot of people will take a dance and they'll break down a move and then add a half a move to it or a move to it. Like mm-hmm. there's that, or there is um, segments almost like stanzas, right? Mm-hmm. That they see, they see this whole thing flows and then, and then there's a whole thing that flows. How do you, and it's different for everybody. And that's why I'm curious about it. How do you learn a dance, a speech, uh, any of that, how does that come to you or how do you, how do you input it? You've touched on something. The way you posed that question unlocked an answer for me that I've never had for that question. And what that is, is when I was training in Taekwondo, it's very visual. And yes, there are words and phrases assigned to what you're doing, but so much of it is you are watching something and then you are replicating it or mimicking it. Mm -hmm. And so that created for me this ability to watch movement and to understand the details of the movement just by watching it without having to necessarily know the terminology. So I took that came with me into my study of musical theater and dance specifically. And so for me, and that's also in part why a professional theater nickname for me is magic. That's where magic comes from is, is my ability to watch choreography, be taught choreography, pick it up very quickly, be shown, be shown something two or three times, depending on its difficulty, receive the information, maintain the information and say, okay, what's next? That's amazing. So, <laughs> you do it yes. almost instantly. Almost. It's 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 a version of um wow, I just lost the word of having a, a like photographic, photographic memory. memory. Yeah. Yes, but for me it's almost like a reel that plays. So when I see something or see when I'm watching space and I'm watching people in that space, it just starts to settle in in my mind. And then if I've seen it enough, I can just replay the details of whatever that was. And so if I see someone come into a space and watch them sit down their phone and then 10 minutes later, they say, where did I put my phone? It's over there. Like, how did you know that? It's like, I just saw you do it. And I just remember where you put that, even though it's not meant for me to remember where someone puts their phone, it just exists for me. That's amazing. That's real. That's amazing. Um, I am going to suggest that that the early grooming and early abuse actually allowed you hypervigilance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I would. And I've not. Well, yes, just plain and simple. Yes. (laughs) It's a it's an interesting thing because. You know what what starts as this almost um, base of fear What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Like a cat jumping on my keyboard. What's going to happen? But that's the whole thing is being aware, being aware of what's next, being aware of what people are thinking or feeling and being aware of your environment. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting skill set mm-hmm. that you learn to actually make use of. And you I'll know? add to that. Yeah. You know, growing up in a single parent household where my mother is working a minimum of eight hours a day, five days a week, and dealing with the stresses of her her professional life, her personal life with my father as they separated and ultimately divorced. And 
all of the emotions that came from even her first marriage, just being in a space where she at that time was functioning from a set of emotional skills that were anemic, Mm. that were not strong for her because she didn't know any better and didn't have the time, space, or support to build those up and cultivate them in a more healthy way. Mm -hmm. I was also navigating things at home of reading her energy, her body language. How can I help her safe space of her home be that for her? How can I minimize additional stress for her, which is an unfortunate responsibility for a child to have. And that's what it was. And I have managed to take that. And instead of being weighed down by it, I've allowed and found ways to actually uplift myself and uplift others. And in the process, uplift her to see her now at this stage in her life, be the happiest I've ever seen her to be and happier than I ever actually imagined she could be. Antonio, you've, you've said some things that are super important. First of all, um, I'll just underscore, you know, parents, no parent, I think I haven't met a parent that sets out to be a bad parent, right? Exactly. I'm going to be the worst parent for my children. It's yeah. like, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, how do I, you know, how do I F with my, with my kids' lives there? Um, and maybe it happens, maybe it's rare. Um, mm-hmm. but most parents are doing the best they can with the tools they have. Yes. And so it allows us now as adults to look back and forgive them for what we didn't get, um, yes. right. Or, or even what we did get. Um, but also to recognize you were put in a position or you took on a position of making your home safe. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think a lot of kids now, adults, if, you know, as adults, if you look back, I don't think a lot of, a lot of adults can look back and say, wow, or, or had looked back. And this is an invitation. This is an invitation to uh, the audience to look back at your lives and go, what role did you play? in maintaining safety in your home Mm -hmm. because that's a really uh it's a it's kind of deep you know um every no child wants to live in fear and yet that is a part of every child's childhood is Mm -hmm. uh the fear of being cast away um worthiness comes up lovability comes up and so making it a safe space for themselves and making it a safe space for the rest of the family sometimes the parent the mom so it's a big thing like what you touched on i just you know i wanted to pause there and go this is this is um it's deep it is pervasive and it's very seldom talked about so um important. Yes. And those are the conversations I like having. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're conversations that I want to encourage others to find comfort in. And I understand the fear that comes with having those conversations. And I think the love that can move into that space is education. And when we educate ourselves about those things, we can find empowerment. Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, would like to invite you to dare to declare that your dreams are worthy. Beyond all of the success you have that got you here, you know you're bigger than the life you're currently living. What have you set aside to get to where you are? Don't you want to wake that back up? It really is possible to explore new dreams and dare to desire without giving up your current path of success. Pop over to Dr. Purnell's free masterclass to help you get from your desire to your destination. www.powerfulpresencemasterclass.com That's powerfulpresencemasterclass.com Dr. P's free masterclass is at www.powerfulpresencemasterclass.com
you know, the background that you've got is soldier of love. Yes. And your speaking career, like you're, you are transitioning at some point from a, uh, from a dancer to a speaker or keeping yes. both, you know, but more and more you're becoming a speaker on this topic and, um, encouraging hard conversations. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about soldier of love. Talk about the speaking career that you're stepping into and, um, the audiences you're going to touch and the lives you're going to change. Soldier of love is a continual blossoming mission for me to encourage people to find out how they can live a whole life. W-H-O-L-E. And for me, how I define a whole life is a life where mistakes can exist, where fear is not debilitating, and where vulnerability is not a weakness. And I use those three distinctions because the opposite was true for me in all of those regards. I didn't want to make mistakes or I was afraid of making mistakes in more so in my personal life. Professional life, there's always been some level of security and confidence and assuredness. And I think it's because there's like work that has to be done and I can see what that is. And if I can see what the steps are, I'll figure things out. Mm -hmm. In personal life, you don't always see what the steps are. There's often not a framework <laughs> and you have True. to figure a lot of stuff out on the fly. And you're like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the good news about social media, like is that so many people are putting out there, ah, uh, uh, they're putting that out there now that it's almost, it's normalized it, you know, before, yes. before the internet, that's right. I'm before the internet years old. Um, <laughs> you know, we grew up thinking our parents had it all together. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause there was and, nothing to say otherwise. Yeah. And now we know nobody has it together, which is awesome. Right. We're all still works in progress. All right. So I'm, I missed one miss. Uh, you want a whole life where mistakes exist. Fear isn't debilitating and Vulnerability is not a weakness. Very nice. Okay. And the, the, the audiences that I want to reach this with and that I want to have conversations with and that I want them to have conversations within their spaces, it's people that are looking and actively seeking a change for themselves. Because change only exists when we want it to. And I say that also from a place of it's okay to not want change to happen for yourself because there are a myriad of life experiences that are happening for people where they can only focus on what is immediately in front of them, i.e. putting food on the table for themselves or their children, making sure they have a place to sleep that is warm and allows them to clean themselves, trying to even get to work to make the money to do the other things. So oftentimes, for many, many people in this world, they don't have the bandwidth or the capability or capacity to put themselves first. And if we, others, who have the bandwidth and, cap and capacity and capability to make ourselves better people, more whole people, then maybe we can pick up the slack for that other person that can't carry the weight that they have to carry or let them know they don't have to carry it alone because there's someone in their life, in their space, in their world that has a little more endurance. Like, so I have a little more endurance with the struggles of my world. So I can offer assistance to someone who doesn't have that endurance for themselves. I think that's fascinating actually. Because, you know, so much of the self-development, uh, the personal, the self-help kind of movements are, um, you know, you must take care of yourself first. And the concept of 
what if they don't have the capacity to care for themselves first, right? What if their world is about, what if the person's world is about caring for everybody else so that it's a safe environment, so that there's uh, food, clothing, shelter, like that's, that's an amazing space to even think about. And I think, and what I'll add to that is even for the people who have so little capacity for themselves, I want to offer them even what seems like the most mustard seeds, mustard seed sized way to care for themselves. And one of those things that I often, that I offer to people is to say to yourself at least once a day, whether, and I often say like, say it in the shower. Cause it's like one of the few times people will ever be by themselves completely Yeah. say to yourself or even think it, if you feel weird saying it, I am love, I am loved. And the reason I offered that phrase, it's something that I do on a daily basis, multiple times a day. Uh, I actually say it before I eat a meal. The first words I say are, I am love, I am loved. And there's some other things that I say that I kind of bless my food and myself with. And that came to me at some point because I was living alone even though I was in a relationship, I was traveling and there could go a day where I would never hear those words said to me Mm -hmm. by anyone, not because people in my life don't love me and not because I wasn't loved. It's because I just wasn't physically around people or I was around people that I didn't know. And that's just not our relationship. So at the very least, if we start saying that to ourselves, we know there is one damn person on this planet that loves us. And that's where it starts. Like, I it think, does. yeah, that's where it starts. It, it does. I, <laughs> I love that. All right. So, <laughs> uh, and I think that's the most powerful force. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. I've begun um, bringing that actually into the corporate space where can you love what you do? Can you love getting up? Can you love, uh, being in those meetings? Can you love the people around you? Can you love the output? Uh, and, and if the answer is no, then what are you doing? And mm-hmm. if the answer is yes, can you say it? Right. And, and yeah. can you bring it? Like, I think uh, this is, there are many places where our philosophies overlap so strongly. I think soldier of love is one of those places where for me, uh, you know, I'm putting out the idea of you must be the beacon of light for others. Like it's our responsibility. Each of us, where you talk about having capacity, you know, you have capacity to step into a dark space and bring that, like be that beacon of light, lift mm-hmm. others around you so that they feel lifted. And that is, you do that only with love. You can't do it with force. You can't do it with right. Uh, with fear, with uh, threats, it's like, right? So you must step in and 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 be that. Uh, I, that's fascinating and and so important. It's such a good lesson. It's really great. Thank you. And I will say it has been a learning for me to get to that place because coming from a history of sexual abuse. I was a very quiet kid. Um, even if my presence can be bright, my energy often is, it's not often, but my energy does not always reflect that. And so I can come into a space and people think, I've had people actually say, oh, I've seen you at auditions and you just seemed really standoffish. And you." And I was, my response to them was saying, I'm here to get work. If... I say, and then I'd say also, I don't recall you ever coming up and having any conversation with me as well. I said, but if we're outside of this space where my objective is to get a job, that's a different person. <laughs> and I'm here to, and that comes from my Taekwondo training. I will genuinely say that. Cause once I got into the ring, my instructor, he would say, like, be still, or he would say, you know, do some kicks because I've, I've always been very flexible. So he would like, you know, do some kicks because a lot of kids who get into that are not always that flexible. They may have a lot of power and strength, but flexibility is great. And I have very long legs. So 
add to that, it's like I can reach an opponent, physically reach them from much further distance than someone who has to get in for a punch. Um, and so I just learned ways and had created ways to just kind of put on this game face. And it was get the job done. Right? Yeah. When you're yeah. in the ring, it's different. You could be, you could be friendly <laughs> once you've put your uniform away and, and you know, you're out in the parking lot friendly um, in, in the arena. There's a job to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. and in the, right. And in, in the theater for the, for the audition, there's a job to do. Mm-hmm. So it makes, it makes sense. And it's uh, that's an interesting compartmentalization that you do, you know, that it's like, whew, here for one reason (laughs) okay all right that's great that's great um can we can we bounce to some fun stuff was there other stuff that you wanted to to bring up at this point or like i was going to ask you about uh crazy stuff that happens in the theater now let's move let's move forward and if anything comes up it comes up awesome great uh so you've been with <laughs> Hamilton, which, you know, Disney Plus did a pretty good job of of bringing that into our homes. Um, yes. And it is in my home every weekend. Um, <laughs> we just did a we just did a, a eight hour drive and it was part of our drive. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, so we're big fans. I have, we have swag. We, I mean, we're our home. We're big fans. Uh, you've been doing it for almost six years, and there was one blackout period, obviously during the during the COVID uh, shutdown of the theaters. Um, besides that, you've been pretty much on the go, continuing being. A universal swing. So you've seen a lot in, uh, like across the country, literally. Yes. Um, talk about something that was awe-inspiring. Like, wow, I had no idea that this person could bring this out of him or her, mm-hmm. or um, and whether that's an actor or uh, uh, part of the tech crew that nobody sees. Mm-hmm. And then talk about, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that one time that this thing happened and we all on stage had the eye contact thing going on, but nobody in the audience knew. <laughs> Ooh, that first one, the awe-inspiring. I have to think on that one because that's that's a very unique question that I've not been asked. So thank you. It's it's. I just want to say, you know, I've been working in theater for 25 years. And it's really nice to get a question I haven't been asked before. So I hope to find an answer for that to get to the second one. Cause I know I have an answer for that one. You do. Uh, yeah. Okay. There, there's several, but I'll, I'll mark this one under my own biggest mistake ever in the show. Okay. I had been in another, in one company of the show for a very long time. And then I had, been brought back to the New York company and the particular track. And so within the theater world for us swings, we, as a short term, we say track for the different people we cover. So in Hamilton, and it's very, um, it's, it's very gender role central. It's, it's catching up. But um, so we have the male ensemble and it's men one through six. And then for the female ensemble, it's women one through five, because there's five female ensemble members, six male ensemble members. So I was on for the man four track and I had not done that part for a while. And we are about to go into the song, say no to this. And my uh, I'm responsible for setting this lamp post on a moving turntable and I'm the first one that sets it. And then it travels three quarters of the way around the stage. I was in the wings rehearsing some choreography for the next number room where it happens and missed 
the music cue for me to set the lamppost. So I heard the music cue. I panicked. Within three seconds was deciding, do I move the lamppost? Do I leave it? What do I do? I decided last second to move the lamppost to put it on the moving turntable. It goes around and it finishes directly down stage center in the middle of the stage. And that's not where it's supposed to be. Thankfully, the actor who was playing Hamilton was aware enough that he just walked over as he was saying his lines and moved it to where it needed to be because he knew where that was. It was a very large internal panic (laughs) for me. Yeah. Because the last thing I want to do is disturb someone else's show that's happened, like someone else on stage. Um, But also, I just had to laugh at myself because I knew it was an honest mistake. And my other cast members who saw what was happening were giving me eyes like, what the hell was that? (laughs) But in a very loving and joking way. Um, So that... Dude, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And then the next day, my stage manager, she said, hey, um, about last night in the show, I was like, yep, I was going over some choreography and completely missed the cue. She goes, OK, I figured it was something like that because that was very out of character for you. It's like, OK. And that was the end of the conversation. That's great. That is that is love, because I've heard some horror stories about theater and it's like a mistake like that. You'll never, you know, it's like you made, yeah. you made our main character have to have to set his own stage, girl, you know? Yeah. And the um, thing is, is it's, if in having a conversation with the perceived perpetrator and you understand it was not intentional, yeah. then come on, we're, yeah. we're humans, we're not machines. There's a reason why it's called live theater because we're living human beings. <laughs> yeah. Which is awesome. It's amazing, right? It's it's really good. I I uh, I was at a very physical show in uh, San Francisco recently, and part of it was jumping through hoops, literally. Like, mm. oh. you know, oh my gosh! Like they toss hoops, they yeah. hold it, they jump through. Um, uh, it was it was very physical, and um, main character missed his missed his hoops twice in a row. Mm. And all he'd do was like come bouncing through and go like just yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sort of to the audience, like, well, okay, you know, next time. Yeah. And um and it's great, like just to be like you won't break the the fourth wall by going with the audience. But, <laughs> um, this show was was deliberately audience engaging, right? Yes. So so they could do that. Um at no, at no point will will a cast member of Hamilton go <laughs> look. Yeah. If right. anyone, if any character would, it would be the king. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Right, um, that's true. So to get to your first question about awe, sort of awe-inspiring moments. Yeah, um, I feel that the ones that so strongly resonate with me are have been the interactions I get to have with the audience after the show. And, you know, during the pandemic, we've uh, collectively in theater have tightened restrictions about giving backstage tours, signing autographs at the stage door, just to limit interaction and to keep people as safe as possible. And I miss that. I miss that we aren't able to do that as freely as we were before Mm -hmm. because that is one of the only moments of interaction I get with an audience from the show I've just done. And a lot of performers, it makes them uncomfortable or they have their reasons for maybe not wanting to engage. Uh, And for me, I enjoy that. One, maybe it's because I'm not on stage every night and I just understand this is not something that occurs for me every day. This is not mm-hmm. something that occurs for this audience every day. So I want to enjoy this as much as possible. There have been several, but the one that is currently at the top of my mind, I was in Chicago and I had been in the show that day and I came out and I was signing autographs going down the line 
And there was a family of four or five, I want to say, husband and wife, and at least two kids, maybe even three. And I'm signing their playbills and I'm hearing an accent, Irish, maybe Scottish. I was like, oh, where are you from? Like, oh, we flew in from so-and-so last night or this afternoon to see the show. I said, oh, what? I said, when do you leave? I said, we leave tomorrow morning. And I just like stopped and I said, I'm sorry. So you flew to Chicago this morning to see this show this evening and you're flying out tomorrow morning. So 24 hour trip to see Hamilton for a family of at least four. Wow. And that resonated with me in such a strong way that, well, one, it, if I think too hard about it or too deep about it, it just shows kind of how gross um, consumerism is that it's cheaper for a family of four to fly to Chicago for 24 hours than, than to have access. I don't, there's, there's a lot of things there, but in a beautiful and inspiring and wonderful way, I just thought this meant this much to this family to make this happen, to have this memory for them. And that is something that I could have easily missed if I just walked out the stage door, taken a right and made my way. And it's those personal interactions that occur with fans of the show, audience of the show that I try not to forget. Sometimes I will because the mind can only remember so many things, but at the very least it was a moment that is like a little bit more special for them. That's amazing. It's, it's great. My first experience with Hamilton was actually in Chicago. Um, it's, I feel it, like we've touched on this a little bit in yeah. uh, knowing in, as, as we've known each other. Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. And it was for a similar reason. Like <laughs> the San Francisco tickets were so inaccess- inaccessible, it became more accessible to see it in Chicago. <laughs> and, and it was, and it oh became, gosh. it was like a birthday trip anyway. So it was like, Excellent. well, what do you want to do? Let's, let's go to Chicago, which is, it's, I mean, that was all magical. It was all just like, uh, it's amazing. Like to, to recognize that people do come specifically and that live theater is coming back and that there's nothing like live theater. Yes, it plays like Hamilton plays in our house every weekend. It's in the background. It's not like we sit (laughs) and we're glued to it. It's, it's part of it. And my wife will sing and do some of the, do some of the moves, especially. (laughs) So it's, it's great. Uh, And that said, there's nothing like live theater. I was, I was, we saw it in uh, New York um, last, just a few months ago in September. And um, I had to remind my wife, like before going in, it was sort of a joke. It was like, it's not a sing-along. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because we on stage appreciate those reminders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some have, point, it will be, you know. At some point, enough people have seen it that it's like, hey, it's just a single. But it's, I mean, there's something about being there and receiving as a as an audience member. It's that's a gift. So yeah. <sighs> well, my friend, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you were hoping I'd ask that you uh, wanted to make sure that our audience got that, like any. Any little tidbit or knowledge bomb or wisdom piece that, that you feel like, well, they should really know this? Uh, well, I mean, there's, there is so much. We have covered so much. And, and you know, we've covered big pieces of my life. Yeah. You know, um, survivorship, survivor advocacy my life in theater with Hamilton, my platform as a soldier of love. Yes. And all of those things, I'm finding this wonderful culmination. And that is what's what's transitioning me from full-time performing into full-time speaking. And another, a, what has been a blossoming 
passion for me over the last few years, specifically with Hamilton, is an element of theater education. And I'm taking that mission of Soldier of Love and funneling it into this theater education prospect where I want to educate theater professionals as to what it means to be a swing, the different types of swings there are, how to do the job, the emotional requirements and challenges that are involved in that in ways to set yourself up to be successful. And I have an even broader goal for that. But I want to start with the people that are doing the job, that are doing the thing as I have been doing the thing over my career. Because I was also a a version, a different version of a swing when I, uh, for the musical In the Heights, also in New York, also on Broadway. I worked with that show. So that was the first time I ever worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda was doing In the Heights as also Mm -hmm. a swing. So I have so much knowledge and information and experience that I want to impart to my fellow current swings and the future swings in this business and use that in corporate world and and just help bring again this continued understanding knowledge empowerment and love first and foremost for ourselves because when we have a base of love that is selfish it allows us to be selfless because we aren't concerned in reserving our love from others because we understand love and i believe this love is a renewable resource even though the world has taught us otherwise and continues to show us otherwise it is a renewable resource and when we are the first line of defense of love for ourselves and we know that that base is there regardless of what else happens anyone that comes into our lives is a support of that. They are not the structure. They are a support of that. Boom. Well done. That's awesome. I can see you bringing the uh, swing mentorship. You didn't call it that, but I'm I'm labeling it that. Swing mentorship. And I can see you bringing that into the corporate setting uh, where agility and agile thinking is all part of what's required in, in corporations. I am mm-hmm. also excited about the prospect of you bringing the concept of love and that just bringing that forward as you, as the soldier of love, bringing that forward uh, to the world <laughs> and in the Thank corporate you. setting, if possible, but in, in the world, just reminding people, what would happen if you showed up every day in love and with love? What would happen, right? I think it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. I'm going uh, to hold up your book one more time. It's called Becoming Magic. It's a, it's a great picture on the back. Um, I am, I'm pushing your book because I think it's worth getting. It's worth getting to know you through the book a little bit more. Um, you have other projects coming up. If people want to reach you, what's the best way of doing that? You can find me. I have a website. It is the soldier of love.us. So the soldier of love.us. You can find me on Instagram at Antoine Magic Ramon, A-N-T-U-A-N, Magic Ramon, R-A-I-M-O-N-E. And LinkedIn as well. And we'll um, have show notes or links where you can also find me. I was just going to say that. That's awesome. (laughs) Very good. I want to double check. It's the soldierofloveus It's not soldierofloveus Both both of those will take you to the website. Very good. All right. Well, I am going to say amazing, Antoine Magic Raymond. Thank you so much. I really, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you being here. And um, wow. Yeah. Bring the love and and spread the love. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. P. This has been fantastic. It is fantastic. Thank you. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. My guest, Antoine Magic Ramon. Uh, And 
I am Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, my cat, Osa, seems <laughs> to always make an appearance. Keep moving. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I am the exponential success coach, and we will see you here next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. 